Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. I promise next week Christmas will come to Venice Church. I know most of us have already been there for at least, what, 27 days now? Uh, and so it's all, it's all good. Christmas is coming to Vintage. But before we step into our Christmas series, and uh, which we're calling The Arrival, and you'll hear more about that this week, and kind of a modified schedule we're going to go to to finish out the last week of the year, we're going to finish out our time in the book of Philippians. That as we concluded Live Love this year, and we kind of put a bow on it before we thought we would, because we felt like the Lord was just leading us to lean into this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Uh, this is a book that we walked through as a men's group earlier this year, and I thought that would be it. But just as we were moving to close out the year, and I was reading back over my journal and reading some of the things that God was teaching me. And I don't know if you're a journal person here, but here's the one thing that us journal people do from time to time is go back and you you look in your journal of things that you wrote two months ago or three months ago or a year ago. And you know what? I went back and looked in my journal from when we first started this series in men's group, and it depressed me a little bit because the things that God was teaching me then, I'm still struggling to do now. Anybody else find that? that God's still trying to get you to lean into stuff he taught you six months ago or maybe six years ago or maybe 60 years ago. For some of y'all, I don't know. Like we're struggling to learn it. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us? That God, even though we're stubborn, maybe I'm just talking to me right now because I might be preaching to me all day. That's all right. Even though we're stubborn and forgetful and unfaithful, he is still faithful. And God still comes after us, and he still tries to teach us the things that he knows we need to learn, because only when we learn those lessons do we step into the life that he desires for us. Man, I'm glad. Say amen if you're glad for God's subtle or not so subtle reminders. (laughs) Uh, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to go today, because we've been reading this letter, and we've this hasn't been necessarily like an exhaustive kind of verse-by-verse, like expository teaching series. There's just been like things that, that God says through Paul in each of these chapters that have gripped my heart once again, that I thought I needed to lean back into, and again, if I'm going to go through it, y'all going to go through it with me. And so we're just kind of walking through these things, and today I'm once again required to preach something I'm not good at. I don't know that I'm ever really good at anything I preach, if I'm honest with you, but the subject today that Paul forces us to wrestle with is one that I'm exceptionally bad at, Uh, but I'm learning. I don't know if if it makes you uncomfortable that your pastor will tell you that, but today's one of those hard messages because I'm really not good at this. I never have been my whole life. So what is it? Well, let's, let's read. Let's, let's go into the Word. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Let's start with verse 10, and then we'll go back and walk through the chapter together. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. And what Paul is referring to is apparently the Philippian church gathered a gift, probably a financial gift, and sent it to Paul in order to help meet and benefit his needs. And so he's saying to them, I'm really glad for the way that you guys look after me, for the way that you care for me, for your concern for me that's just constant, so much that you're willing to sacrifice and you're willing to be generous. But I want you to know something. Verse 11, I don't say this out of need, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. And I say, Paul, how'd you do that? I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. And my response is, how do you, how, Paul, Paul, how did you, how did you do that? Paul is completely content. 
And when I hear Paul is completely content, I'm convicted because look at me, I'm rarely content. And that's, that's probably an understatement. Paul says, I'm completely content. And then I think about from where he writes those words. See, a lot of us are, uh, would be content on a 13-day cruise. I mean, you got food, beverages, all kinds of fun things. All kind, I mean, y'all be real content. Maybe a little bit more than content. You need to repent. <laughs> Paul says, I'm completely content in prison. He isn't doing what he, he's not able to do what he loves. He's not able to step into communities and walk into churches. He, he's probably spending most days all by himself, isolated from community, isolated from anybody. He's in chains, probably barely fed, his stomach growling, his body's beginning to wither. He's writing letters to people that he's sure maybe, or at least concerned he will never see again. And he says, let me tell you something. I'm glad y'all looking out for me. I'm glad you sent me a gift. I'm grateful for your care. But know this, I don't say this because I need anything because I've learned to be content. I'm completely content. I have trouble being content when things are good because I can find something wrong. I have a superpower of finding the negative. Anybody else share my superpower? It, it don't matter how good things are, how much money is in the bank, how healthy I feel, how much food is in the pantry, I will find something negative to fixate on. And I will build me a shelter and put me up a tent and camp out there and wallow in it. And Paul says, from prison, I'm completely content. And here's the problem. A lack of contentment will always lead to conflict. A lack of contentment will always lead to conflict. And sometimes a lack of contentment is creating conflict in spaces in your life, and you don't even know that it's the result of a lack of contentment. You know how many people we watch struggle in their marriage because of a lack of contentment, and you think a new husband or a new wife is going to fix it? You know how many people this year will walk away from a perfectly good job just because they're not content and they believe that the grass is greener. They don't know that the grass is greener because somebody's been watering that joker for a long time. Do you? And see, that's when we lack contentment, what we think is we just need to change this, move these pieces, do all these things, and it never works. And it's so funny. This is one thing I've learned in my life. Wherever I go, there I am. You know, the one common denominator in every area of your life is you. I saw when people, you've been married six times, had 37 jobs. I think you the problem. <laughs> the one common denominator in every situation, you. Every, everywhere you go, there you are. And if we don't, if I don't settle this issue of contentment, I worry that it's going to cost me because it's already cost me in my life. Can anybody else in the room be honest? You know that a lack of contentment has led you to walk away from relationships that didn't have to end, to spend money you don't have, to put you in situations only to find that that ache in your spirit still existed. 
But you know what Paul says? He says, I've learned to be content. There's a lot about that phrasing that we need to lean into. Number one, it's a reminder that contentment doesn't come natural, right? If it's something he had to learn, that means it's something that wasn't like naturally present. It's something he had to, he had to learn, which means it takes work. And maybe that's why most of us never get it because it takes work to figure out this contentment. It, it's not easy. And if you have to work to get it, then you probably have to fight to keep it. Like, it's not just a, you don't just set it and forget it. Like you, if you have to work to become content, you're going to have to fight to stay content. And if you're going to have to fight, look at me, you're not in a good fight when you don't know the enemies. The first thing you're going to have to do to fight for contentment is to recognize the enemies to it. And I would say the enemies to contentment are many, but there's one specific that gets me every time. And it's the one that Paul points out before he ever mentions this word of contentment as he walks to the chapter. Go back in. Philippians chapter four. Start with verse four. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Well, crap, now I know why I'm not content. Don't worry about anything. You know what I've learned? Worry and contentment really can't coexist. I don't think you can be completely content and full of worry. Nobody is content when you're worried to death. Come on. It's just, it's just worry and contentment, not good roommates. They don't coexist very well. And I've made it very clear over my time as a pastor of this church, I am, I am a worrier. I worry about everything. Have you heard me say, when I'm not worried, I start to worry that I can't find something to worry about. The reason why I'm really good at worrying is because, let's be honest, there is always a reason to worry. If you want to worry, you'll find a reason to worry. No matter how old you are, no matter what station you are in life. Like right now, I got two kids that in a few months are going to be 15. They're going to start driving, y'all. And y'all didn't tell me the kind of panic that creates in a parent. Especially when I put my son behind the wheel of a car and the boy cannot drive. Y'all better buy a helicopter when that boy gets his license. You won't off the road. I'm telling you. Just the, the, the sheer panic. You know, it's funny. They don't, they don't, and I know a lot of you aren't parents. Maybe you don't understand it. They don't tell you that the safest they'll ever be is the immediate moment you bring them home. Probably while they're still in mama's belly. From that point on, they continue to drift into spaces you can't control. And the sheer terror that it puts in a dad's heart is crazy. There's always a reason to worry. So how come Paul says, don't worry about anything? Paul, don't you know? Paul, listen, there's a lot of things to worry about. I mean, there, I mean, we got kids, the economy, the, the, all, there's so much to worry about. But I think Paul is going to unpack some things. Or, and I don't know if this was his intention or just what God knew I needed to hear. 
of ways to empty our lives of worry. Because we're going to be full of contentment. Look at me. We're going to have to empty our lives of worry. If we're going to be full of contentment, then you and I are going to have to empty our lives of worry. And I think Paul gives us some steps to start eliminating the worry in our lives to the rest of this chapter that I quickly just want to unpack for us. Go back into verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you're going to empty your life of worry, you're going to have to fill your mouth with prayer. Empty your life of worry by filling your mouth with prayer. And the first thing Paul says, if we're going to eliminate worry, is we got to empty your life of worry by filling your mouth with prayer. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. That's Paul's strategy. Because see, when that temptation to worry invades your mind, when, when something rises up in your life that is stressful, y'all ever have anything stressful come in your life? Come on, say amen. Any, anything uncertain? all these different things that have the potential to create worry in us. What's your default? I know mine. My default is I'll fix it. I am really smart. I am really tenacious. I know I'll fix it. My default when something steps into my, even even if I know I can't. And I'm one of those people that like, I want to fix everything. I don't want to just fix my problems. I want to fix your problems. Anybody else like me? Like you feel that, you feel that burden, that pressure. Like I, I got to fix everything because you've always been the fixer. You've been fixing things with your parents because they, when they were struggling when you were little, you, you've been the fixer your whole life. And so you've, you've just defaulted this fixer mindset so that when anything comes into your space that isn't settled or isn't good or is uncertain, your default is I'm going to fix it. Let's dig in. Let's pull up our bootstraps and let's make it happen. Let's fix it. This is what I learned. You can't fix everything. You can't fix everything. Maybe I need to say that again. You can't fix everything. You can't solve everybody's problems. The world is always going to be uncertain. There's always going to be things that are hard and difficult and challenging. No matter how much you love Jesus and no matter how much you grow in him, there's always going to be things that are unsolvable. And if you don't learn to pray first, you're going to worry always and you're never going to be content. You got to learn to pray. The only time I pray is when I convince myself I can't do anything else. And that's great. But what if I didn't wait till that desperate feeling to talk to God? Just pray. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. That if we're going to empty our lives of worry, we got to fill our mouths with prayer, and we got to do it first. That the moment that that worry starts to build, the moment that temptation to be consumed with all the could be's and what will be's and should and all those things, we just realized that in that moment, God is listening. God never turns his ear away. Pray. But Paul doesn't just say pray. 
There's another thing in, in that sentiment that I think that is a necessary requirement to rid our lives of worry. Empty your life of worry by filling your heart with gratitude. Empty your life of worry by filling your mouth with prayer. Empty your life of worry by filling your heart with gratitude. Notice what he says. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That we pray with a posture of gratitude. And here's the thing. I know we, we, we walk through this whole season of gratitude, and, and for about three weeks a year, we're really grateful people. Then we eat a fried bird, and then it's over. But no, it says with thanksgiving. I think the other thing we miss is we, un- we misunderstand what it means to, be, to pray with gratitude. Because see, some of us, me, we are most grateful or perhaps only grateful to God when we pray and he answers our prayer the way we want it, when we wanted it answered. That's when we're grateful. God, I'm so grateful because I, you listen to me. I prayed and you heard, and you did it when I wanted it, how I wanted it. But let me tell you something. If the only time I prayed with gratitude was when God answered my prayer the way I wanted, when I wanted, I would not be very grateful because God rarely does that. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I don't know about you, but more often than not in my life, God doesn't do exactly what I want him to do when when I want him to do it because he's God and I'm not. He don't have to listen to me like that. And he knows things that I don't know, and he sees things that I don't see. And he knows better than to give me some of the things I beg him for from time to time. No, see, if you are only praying with a spirit of gratitude when God does you what you want, when you want, the way you want, no, you need to pray with gratitude because he has promised he is listening. He has promised he is good and working for your good at all times. Pray with gratitude because you know that you serve and are praying to a God that is paying attention. That's where the gratitude comes from. Not because he will do it, but because he's willing to listen and he'll always work in a way that's for his glory and our good. And it's always in our good, even when it don't feel good. Even when it doesn't feel good. That if we're going to eliminate worry, empty your life of worry by filling your mouth with prayer. Empty your life of worry by filling your heart with gratitude. And you know what? Gratitude, like most things, it's a perspective. And you will never have gratitude if you keep fixating on what you lack instead of focusing on what you have. That rids your life. When you fixate on what you lack instead of focus on what you have, you empty your heart of gratitude. And it's so easy. I mean, even, I know for a lot of people, it was hard to be grateful this Thanksgiving because all you could see was the person not sitting at the table this year. And sometimes when you get so fixated on the people who are not sitting there, you overlook those who are. And that's not to say that you don't feel pain and you shouldn't grieve, but it's just a reality that we have to wrestle with. Amen? Am I making sense? Gratitude comes from focusing on what you have, not fixating on what you lack, that if we're going to eliminate worry, we've got to fill our mouths with prayer, we've got to fill our hearts with gratitude. And this concept of connecting thanksgiving and prayer is something that Paul mentions several times throughout the letters he writes. Another example is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Paul keeps on Right, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, 
whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Empty your life of worry by filling your mind with truth. Empty your life of worry by filling your mouth with prayer. Empty your life of worry by filling your heart with gratitude. Empty your life of worry by filling your mind with truth. He says, listen, you got, you got to get your mind right. That the front lines of this war for contentment in your life is between your ears. That the, look at me, the greatest threat to your contentment, it is not what's happening around here. It's what's happening in here. Because your mind will take you places that will scare you to death. And see, here's what happens for me. This is how something moves into my life that's uncertain, that's scary, that's stressful. And my mind starts to race. And you know which path it goes down to? The most unrealistic one, crazy one I can think of. Like the worst thing ever. Like I got a hangnail. Oh no, it's going to infect my finger. My finger's going to fall off. I'm getting green. My whole arm's going to fall off. I'm going to die. Y'all laugh, but I know there's some people out there like me. And see, the enemy knows that. And what he wants you to do is he wants to take a little bit of reality and draw it towards the worst lie he can get you to believe. That's his native tongue, Scripture says, is lies. So he wants to plant lies in your mind so that you start living down the path of the lie instead of the truth. So you got to fill your mind with truth. But to fill your mind with truth, you got to change what you consume. And if all you're consuming is the junk that's out there in this world and never the scripture that is the only real source of truth, you don't have anything to combat the lie. And no wonder we, we get worried. We get worried because we get sick and we go to WebMD. And we read the most crazy possible outcome there might be. We get worried and we start playing all these scenarios out. And Paul says, no, if you're going to end your life of worry, you got you to fill your mind. You got to fill your mind with truth. Because listen, do you notice whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, pure, lovely, commendable, there's few places you can find such things in this world. The Bible is the best source for everything described in those verses. Come on. Drop down to verse 10. Philippians chapter four, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. There it is, verse 12. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who gives me strength. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. There it is. He says, I've learned. He said, I've had moments in my life when my plate has been full. And I've had moments when I barely had a few crumbs. I've had moments in my life where things were good and things were going well. And I've had moments in my life when everything was going sideways and it felt like it, nothing was ever going to be good ever again. 
but I've learned to not let the circumstances of my life dictate my mood, my emotions, my faith. Because if I ride that roller coaster, it's one that will not serve me well. In verse 13, once again, he gives us a hint into how he's able to do that. I am able to do all this through him who gives me strength. That might be one of the most misused verses in all the Bible. People put it on eye black, grab a bat, and think it'll help them hit a home run. That's not what this verse is about. You don't put this on your helmet and be a better linebacker. No, he says the, this strength that, that, in other words, he's saying this isn't easy. This contentment thing is not something that's, that's that again, comes natural to me. The, but the reason why I'm able to stay content is because I stay connected to the source that feeds contentment. Amen. Write this down. Empty your life of worry by filling your soul with trust. Filling your soul with trust. I've learned this in my life. Worry usually grows in seasons of exhaustion, right? I've said this to our church for years, and I deeply believe it to be true. The more physically tired you are, the more spiritually vulnerable you become. That's the reason why God built rest into the rhythm of our lives. It's the reason why on January 1st, we're not going to have gatherings in this building because we're going to give an opportunity for everybody. We're going to worship through resting. Worry grows in exhaustion. You know what is the most, look at me, you know what is the most exhausting thing you'll ever do? Try to do God's job. The most exhausting thing you will ever do is try to do God's job. So many of us were worn out because we're trying to do things that only God can and should or will do. You're, try, you're trying to do all this stuff in and within your, with yourself. You're, you're trying to use your strength to fix everything. You don't have enough strength for everybody. You don't have enough strength for you, much less everybody else. He says, I'm able to do this not in my own strength, not in my own study. Not, no, because he is able to give me that strength. And the reason why he gives me that strength is because I depend on him for it. See, he's learned, look at me, he's learned to be content because he's decided to be dependent. You will never be completely dependent or completely content until you're fully dependent. When you are completely and fully dependent on God for everything, and you will never be fully dependent on anything you don't completely trust. I'll tell you why, why you're not dependent on God. You don't trust him. You know how I can say that to you? Because I said it to me. Like, Matt, if you, would, you really, would you really worry about that budget meeting tomorrow night if you trusted me? Would you really worry about if all these things are going to come through if you trusted me? You, you can't in one breath say, God, I trust you, and the next moment worry. Those things don't compute. Am I wrong? You can't say, God, I trust you. Oh, my gosh, how's it going to go? I don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to happen? I don't know if it's going to work out. Like those things just don't compute with one another. To say, I, you can't say, I com God, I completely trust you. And in the next moment, just be overwhelmed with worry. Because when you trust him, you can sit in prison. 
maybe not even know if you're going to eat another meal or live another day and say, I'm good. Because he's already said, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm good. I'm good. Why? Because my strength comes from him. My strength doesn't come from the gift you gave me. My strength doesn't even come from the food I'm about to eat. My strength comes from him. And there's a reason why I use that word soul, filling your soul with trust, that, that in, innermost part of who you are that drives you. I love how often the psalmist uses the word soul in the things that they write. Look at Psalm 62, verses five through eight. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And Paul says, I've, I've learned to be content. I've learned the secret of being content. Whether I have plenty or whether I have little, in good and in bad. And you know why I think Paul was able to be content? Because he eliminated worry from his life by doing all the things that he wrote about. And he never lost sight of Jesus. One last thing. Let me just give them all to you again. Empty your life of worry by filling your mouth with prayer. Empty your life of worry by filling your heart with gratitude. Empty your life of worry by filling your mind with truth. Empty your life of worry by filling your soul with trust. And finally, empty your life of worry by fixing your eyes on Jesus. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because you start looking at anything other than him, it's just a distraction that'll drag you into a pit of discontent. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you need to learn to be content? Especially as we move through a season over the next few weeks where you're going to be pulled in a million different directions and your plate is going to be as full as it is all year. And you know what? It's so easy this time of year, especially like in my life, it's hard to enjoy Christmas sometimes because if you're like me, there's so many things that have to be done at the end of the year and you get so consumed about all those things and you're worried about. And so you're just so consumed with worry. You can't even be at peace in the season that's about the prince of peace. If you're going to be content, you're going to have to fight the enemy of worry. And Paul's given us the roadmap to how to do it. So would you stand with me? As you're standing, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're going to sing one more song before we get out of here. And Will you just take some time to be with the Lord and talk to God and wrestle down some of these things? Have you learned to be content? 
that calming peace that resides in the heart of those who follow Jesus. Paul found a way. So Paul is a reminder that it's, it's possible. And maybe you're like me. If you're going to be content, you got you to gotta work to ruthlessly eliminate the worry that's standing in the way of it. To look back, you know what's crazy is so often I worry about things for so long and then I look back at them and I wonder, why did I worry? Why did I worry? God was God. God was God. Don't let it rob you anymore. Don't let worry rob you of contentment. Don't let it rob you of joy. Don't let it rob you of the peace that God has promised in his son. God, I pray that right now as we worship you, that you would begin to just help people lay down or take up or do something they need to do, God. And people pray with a posture of thanksgiving and they seek you and find you in this space, God. Meet with us, Lord, and help us to learn that contentment that Paul said he found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.